0: Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Harvey Asher, sexaholic. I've been sexually sober um, 36 years and 11 months, one day at a time. Um, As Many of you know I'm doing this step workshop hopefully from an entrance into different doors rather than it being classic, do this, do that. If we don't see the big picture, I think the steps get lost in the detail and it becomes just another mechanical thing we do in our lives, and for those of us who are addicts, it's easy for it to be get boring if we're not seeing the big picture, and so I usually open with talking about the big picture. One part of this big picture is a misconception that anybody could help anyone get sober. You're not going to hear a lot of the stuff I say because it's not popular to say. What do you mean, Harvey, you can't help anyone get sober? Well, you can't. You could help them stay sober, but you can't get them to get sober. In AA, because of their over 80 years of being around, the oral tradition is much stronger than our oral tradition. So they say it in a very rich way. And I'll try to explain it for those of you who do not have English as your first language. They say, first, you got to put the plug in the jug. What does that mean? For those of you who are familiar with wine bottles, the cork that you have in the wine bottle or the top of the cap of the bottle. The first thing you got to do is put the cap on the bottle. It doesn't work well if you keep the bottle open to try to get sober from alcohol. You'll smell it, you'll do something, and there you go. So they say, put the plug in the jug. Once you put the plug in the jug, once you close that bottle, put the cork back in that bottle, you have a chance to hear what people are telling you about how not to take the cork out again. Now, many people are under this assumption that someone else can help them get sober. No, people could help you stay sober, not get sober. And what is the methodology in a 12-step program is to do it just for one day at a time. Put the top on the bottle for the next 24 hours, not forever, just for the next 24 hours, put the plug in the jug. Now, once you put the plug in that jug for 24 hours, then you have a chance to hear how to stay sober. Now you're going to say, how how can that all be? Aren't we all here to help other people get sober? I'm here so I can keep staying sober today. You can't make me get sober. Therefore, the steps only mention lust one time. In the first step, all the other steps are about staying sober. And that's why Roy says very simply, we can't control and enjoy lust. You either accept you have a disease and you're not like a normal person and that you're allergic to lust, or you don't accept it. But once you accept it, then the steps have a chance to work. And what are the why do the steps for only one reason to get a spiritual awakening without a spiritual awakening it's going to be hard to stay sober you know we have a famous author from I think the late 1800s here in America called Mark Twain, and he would talk in very humorous ways. And he'd say, oh, to stop smoking is the easiest thing I've ever done. I've done it at least a thousand times. See, there's no problem in stopping what we're doing. We've all had to do it under certain circumstances, certain things happen, and somehow for a day you don't do it. But how do you stay stopped? How do you stay stopped? So I could remember that when I got married, I said I'm going to stop masturbating. And somehow through willpower, I was able to do it for a little bit, but it broke through and I could not stay stopped, even though I was being intimate with my wife, because I have an allergy. Therefore, we get to the spiritual awakening. And how do we get to it? It's a piecemeal awakening. Roy had a sudden shift, but it really wasn't that sudden. It happened about six weeks after he started the program. But the awakenings were little bits before then. What's our first awakening? That we have a disease. That willpower will not work. Without that awakening, it's going to be hard to stay sober. Then the awakenings continue. But one that is spectacular is the fourth step. Now, most people see the fourth step as beating themselves up look at my pride, look at my ego, look at this, look at my greed, look at my lust, and then you flagellate yourself and you say, oh, I'm so bad. But if you look at the fourth step as an awakening, not as an inventory of how we've screwed up, but, as an awakening, wow, Harvey, you got jealousy, Wow, Harvey, look at your pride! I never saw it before harvey harvey, you didn't I didn't see my jealousy before. I told this story a few weeks ago here, we pretty sure that I worked so hard to send my son through medical school. And then he got through and he started making all this money and he bought all these homes. And I felt jealous towards my own son. Look how much money he's making. And here I am still working at age 80 and doing this and doing that. What an awakening! That's once you see it as an awakening, you can laugh about, not flagellate yourself. Oh, there's another part of me I haven't seen. What does awakening mean? It means we're asleep. We're this deep. Deep sleep. And we gradually wake from this deep slumber and we start seeing more and more. And awakening is seeing what was always there, but we never saw it before. The other day in this building, I I live in and we eat in their restaurant. Their internet went out, and so we couldn't see the menus, the weekly menus. And we're eating with this woman, and she said, Oh, tonight we're having such and such for supper. I, and it was lunchtime. I said, How did you know that information? She said, When we walked in, to the cafeteria line there was a menu right there I didn't see the menu (laughs) so much of my life I don't see those are the awakenings so when you look at your fourth step as an awakening wow now, what other aspect do we see the fourth step as? Well, we go to the Vision for You page. Uh, I wrote it down somewhere, I guess, of uh, page 164 in the AA Big book, A Vision for You. It's at the end of all the steps, and we're told what to look for, the wonderful things. And it says, We clear away. The wreckage of our past. Wow. This is our opportunity to begin this dream, wonderful, utopian world within ourselves of cleaning up the wreckage of my past. And boy, did I leave a lot of wreckage. (laughs) You know, people mention my laughing. And here I am talking about the wreckage of my past, and I'm laughing. That's because I truly know I didn't cause it. I truly know I did not cause the wreckage of my past. My disease caused it. I am not my disease. I am a good and worthwhile human being worthy of recovery today. I borrowed that from Judson over 30 years ago when he would say it. He wouldn't say I am a sexaholic. He would say I'm Judson, a good and worthwhile human being worthy of recovery today. Now, in the 12 and 12, Bill really goes into this by saying these are natural instincts that have gone out of whack, have gotten kind of exaggerated, but they're just natural instincts. Just picture, and I've shared this before, picture a caveman sitting in his damp, cold, dark cave with his wife and kids. Worrying about tigers and saber tooth tigers coming in and attacking them. And one night, he looks across the valley and he s- sees a fire. For the first time. And he goes and he checks it out. And he comes back the next night. Let's say he did not feel envious and jealous. He would never have learned how to start a fire in his own cave. Our natural instincts keep us alive. Sex is a natural instinct. Without it, we wouldn't be here. Now, my wife always thought she came from a virgin birth, that her parents never had sex. Until one day when we were first married and we went to their little apartment, a little apartment. We were putting the luggage up, and down fell on us this giant box of condoms, <laughs> birth control. My wife was in shock, <laughs> but we all are alive because of sex, a natural instinct that went wild in me. We call it self-win, will run wild. So these are good, natural things. Can you imagine never getting angry? How would you fight injustices? When I say fight, I mean do anything about it. How would you even notice it? And envy and pride in yourself and your country, your religion, but somehow these go wild. So, Here we have in the 12 and 12 what I call the long form of the fourth step. But our fourth step and the way I did it was a short form. (laughs) And in step into action you see the short form too which is how I did it with those columns. In the 12 and 12, there's a long form where they actually have questions you could ask yourself, and then you could answer the questions. Um, I didn't even know it existed when I first did my first fourth step. That part of it. That was when I was in AA. So I did the short form. Somehow it worked for me. Because I keep doing it over the years. Whenever anything new pops up. We have these natural instincts. Our job is to see which ones of those are interfering with our relationship to the world around us. Now, as we discussed last week, we keep it simple with those three columns. It's so simple, it's mind-boggling. Resentment, you do. You do fear. You do sex. How much more simple can it get? It's all in chapter five of the AA book or in step four, and step into action in our essay book. Now I needed to do more. So I did use a piece of the 12th and 12 where I used the seven deadly sins in quotes. And, you know, I really don't like that term sin. This it gets our program back to religion rather than science, that I have a disease. But I like the original translation of sin before it got so distorted, where it's an archer's mark, missing the mark with our bow and arrow. Missing the mark. And so I used the seven deadly sins. I used pride, greed, sloth, procrastination, lust, anger, and gluttony. So I used those also. But that was my way of doing. There are different forms to do it. Hazelden has a form. Other people have um, Joe and Charlie have the charts that you could download off the Internet. Whatever it is, do it. If you're sober, do it. Don't make a big deal out of it. Just do it. Faith without action is dead. It's not that complicated. Now you're going to notice that I'm not going to go into much detail about this. Who the heck am I to give you detail about it when it's in the big book? The big book, the AA big book. Is the cookbook. It gives you directions. And when you think you have to be spoon fed this, and what a misconception that is. I get calls all the time. Over the years, the calls are um, my sponsor won't return my calls. He keeps saying, we'll do the fourth step. He just doesn't do it with me. I can't get him to do a fifth step with me. I'm waiting. Some guys are waiting a year. Where does it say your sponsor does a fourth step with you? Where does it say it? This is not a spoon-fed program. If you're waiting for someone to do it for you, you're in big trouble. It's already there in the book. You do it, and you ask your sponsor to help you if you get stuck. And if he won't help, call anyone who's done one and is still sober. Don't complicate a simple program. Your sponsor is not your priest or your Rebbe or your Iman. Your sponsor is another drunk who happens to be a few steps ahead of you. These are all myths. Cut the myths out and do the work. What do you mean myths, Harvey? How can you be so blasphemous to say myths? Well, when I came into the program and there was no essay book written yet, and I had a month's sobriety, and a new person came in who did they use for a sponsor? The person who had a month. They had the, one day, there was a month. The next person had a month. But I was, and Roy says it in the essay book. So don't think I'm making this up, as I make up a lot of this, but not this, hopefully. Roy says, get someone who is ahead of you in the steps. That's all that's needed. Who's staying sober? Hang out with people who are staying sober. Avoid people who chronically relapse. This is not elitist. It's not that there are less people or lesser people, or not the finest people. But if you hang around a barbershop long enough, you will eventually get a haircut. You hang around chronic relapsers, good chance you'll become a chronic relapse. You hang around people who are staying sober, you have a better chance of staying sober. Now, what I'm telling you is not truth or false. What I'm telling you is my experience, strength, and hope. How I've done it, that's all I can give to you, how I've done it. If you find a way that works for you, great. But the only way you know that works for you is if you're staying sober. Then you know it's working. And then what you do, doing, keep doing it. If it's working, don't fix it. I'm not going to bombard you with this over and over again. Uh, it's a simple program for complex people, for complicated people. It's a simple program. Keep it simple. Your disease is going to want to tell you to make it complicated it wants to detour you and make you uncomfortable so you don't end up doing the steps. The fourth step is a lifelong step. It never ends. It just changes its name to the 10th step. And in AA, someone had to confront me about my fourth step. And he said, this step has a period at the end. Put a period already at the end of your fourth step and move on into your fifth step.
2: How do you hold equally the truth that your disease is is responsible for um, the wreckage of your past, yet you are responsible for your actions?
1: I'm not bothered with that. I like my way better. (laughs) It might not be true or real, but I just like it better. And it's worked very well for me in my amend step to make amends, to help clean up the wreckage of my past and to make living amends by actually changing through the steps some of my behavior. Um, But I, I know it's true for me. How do I know it's true? This yes, I'm not doing that stuff now. So if my wreckage of my past was because I'm evil and bad and didn't care about people, which made me a sociopath, I would not be different now I'd be the same sociopath they did a fascinating study went on for decades I think it was out of Harvard or Yale and they followed alcoholics for decades and they part of their group went into recovery and they did MMPI tests, these personality inventories, on everyone who was in their large, large sample. And most of the alcoholics came out with the pattern of being sociopaths, psychopaths. Those who went into recovery no longer had that pattern. And when they relapsed, they went back into that pattern again. So my sociopathic lifestyle, what do I mean? I lied, I stole, I cheated. I was not a safe person. When I was sociopathic, when that changed, through recovery, I no longer was doing those things consciously. Sometimes I did them unconsciously until I had an awakening about it. Okay, next question.
2: Okay, go ahead, uh, Jonathan.
3: Yeah, thank you for the meeting, and thank you, Harvey, for sharing your experience. my question is about the diff, two different um, methods you did the fourth step. Was, why did you do it uh, two different uh, ways, and what was the benefit of it?
1: And I I actually, it's the twelve and twelve book had more than the AA book has. They were both written by Bill W. Basically. But one was written, published in 1939. The other was published in about 1950. So I'm dyslexic. And so I don't do well with just reading. But the oral tradition in AA was very powerful where I went. And someone said to me, hey, do it this way. And then, Add the seven deadly sins to it. It was that—that's simple. Using those as my character defects. How does pride? How is gluttony? You know, greed. I still suffer from some greed. I have a little porch. It's not very big. It's screened in and. An I must have 20 orchid plants. One or two orchid plants are normal for people. 20? I can't get enough orchids. The only difference is today I know it's green. <laughs> I haven't reached my bottom yet. When my wife kicks me out of the apartment, <laughs> maybe I'll reach my bottom. <laughs> But so far, it's not interfering with my relationship to anyone else. As long as I don't bring them basically into the house. Now, my wife won't let me bring them into the house. They stay on the porch. But I'm not perfect yet. So by accident, I broke one, one of the flowers, and I brought it into my little study room. (laughs) I love orchids. And this one is just the flowers. Different strokes for different folks. I get so much of my connection to God dealing with plants and watching the patterns that is throughout the universe, including plant plants just yesterday and today I I'm down in the in a tropical area and there is moss and air plants and I put them kind of near each other and I'm noticing they're finding each other and starting to grow into each other and all I could think about is how God's created a Pattern that even plants follow how we grow together regretfully i'm a, a love cripple so i've had to learn this in recovery how we all can become from one substance yeah next question
2: Yes, yeah, so we've had a lot of questions coming on the chat, just to let you know, uh, and also for the guys that put their hands up, I try and go in the order as much as possible. Um, do you need, um, about doing the steps on your own, what you were saying, do you need sponsors' permission to continue to a next step? Is it okay to just be working on the steps alone and take guidance from the sponsor as needed?
1: Different people will tell you different things. I use my sponsors to help me with my steps, not to give me permission for my steps. Other than your first step, where it's hard doing your other steps if you're not sober. If you've been masturbating all day, I wish you luck to do your steps. But if you're sober, so what's going to happen if, God forbid, your sponsor gets COVID? Your program going to stop? And where do you find that in the big book? And I'm not a super, super expert. But I've never come across that in the big book. How do you know that? Not from even the chapters other than the first chapter, Bill's story. Go over Bill's story time and again. And how he did his steps. And Ebby, the man who brought him in, introduced him to some concepts. But a lot of his steps were done when he was in the hospital having DTs. Now, what do I use sponsors for, especially? I can't trust my thinking when it comes to decisions, especially when I'm angry. So, I run things by my sponsor. And then I ask, how do you suggest I handle this? But for my step work, I use my sponsors to help me with my steps, not give me permission for my steps if the person's sober. Now, regretfully, Sponsees tend, a lot of times, not to be self-motivated. And so I need to say to my sponsees, What's, what step are you working? And if they I get zero, then where they say that, then I say to them, I've suggested you do it. Uh, Since it hasn't been done, um, it looks like you're having difficulty doing it. Then I say, would you like me to help you do it for examples of doing it? And I will begin them like with the fourth step. Give them some examples. What you've heard me say over and over, this is not a cookie-cutter program. There are many people who are like me. They're dyslexic, and they have trouble reading things and, and following them. But as you get to know your sponsors, some of that fits in. I will suggest and share with many of my sponsees the same readings I'm doing. And people I least expect will run with the ball beyond even what I'm doing. And others won't touch it. Different strokes for different folks. But as long as they're staying sober, I'm willing to really work with them on certain things. Concerning steps. It's very difficult of all the issues I've seen. It's very difficult to get people to do step work. Very difficult. Now, I'll give you an example. The more into the steps we're going, the less people are showing up at this meeting. Thank goodness, we're, you know, a lot of people are interested. But people predominantly want to know the first step and get sober. They tend not to really want to do the steps. And I would guess by the end of this, we'll probably have half the people that we started with. And that's if the numbers are, but we might have much less. This is not a popular thing.
2: There's a question here which is asked one way, but I really feel like it should be asked the other way. Is it just as, as effective to go through the steps in a few weeks as it is in a few years?
1: I might be dead if I took a few years to do my steps. I needed to get through those steps pretty rapidly. And then you're never finished with them. I did a a 10-step inventory last week. On someone who was really upsetting me in this building, and that I got angry at. It. And I said, This can't be him. Whenever I'm disturbed, the problem is in me. And I said, This man, without me knowing it, is reminding me of people that I'm angry at. Or else I wouldn't be reacting to him this way. And I I wrote a list and read some things, and the conclusion for me was I needed to love him and ignore what he was saying. Now it's much easier for me because he was saying some very difficult things about politics, and it was much easier for me because. I reached a bottom about four months ago, and I no longer look at the news. I don't read news, you know, purposely. I don't listen to the TV news. I've had freedom like I've never experienced before. I was under the delusion, the insanity that I could control the world. By being up on it and knowing everything that's going on, I could control it. I've had more freedom in the past four years than I think I've had in decades. Why? Because I finally faced, it had nothing to do with politics. It was another Addiction. I would get adrenaline rushes. And I had to reach a bottom. Hopefully, you all will get, not about politics or anything, but you will get the program faster than it's taken me. Another few weeks, one day at a time, I'll have 37 years. It's taken me a long time to get this program. The lust part came easy because I truly believed I had a disease. But it's the other parts of the program it has been much harder for me.
2: Okay, go ahead, Greg.
3: Hi Harry, this is Greg from Hungary, and thank you very much for these great talks. My question is that um, me and my spouses had problems um, by sleeping while you're doing the fourth step. What uh, do you recommend for uh, avoiding this?
1: Keep it simple. There were certain things I wasn't ready for. I had to do it in my 10th step. Um, I've quoted this before. This man wrote this in the 1980s, a book, and he wrote Be careful. About going for therapy too early in recovery, because until we get spiritual healing, sometimes digging too deep will cause relapses, especially about abuse issues, excuse me, anger issues, anger at parent issues. You gotta kinda be kind of careful. When you do it the way the it says in here and in the AA book, it keeps it pretty superficial in a way. You're saying I'm angry at my mother, resentment mother, what did she do? You name a few things. How did column three? How did it affect me? My pride, my relations, my security. And then you move to column four and you say, what is my part? Uh, Next week, when we do step five, we're going to do step column four. Before that, for the fourth step, Uh, didn't include it today because there are two ways of doing it. Some people do the fourth column when they do the other three. Some people like to do it before they do their amends steps to see who they owe amends to. Um, But we'll be talking about that fourth column next week. What happens is there's a Another distortion where people think these are autobiographies. No, they're just simple charts. They're not writing a book about your life. And if you want more than those, You look in the 12 and 12, and they have specific questions you ask yourself, and then you answer them. It doesn't say your sponsor asks you when you answer it. It says you answer these questions. Now, I want to back up for a minute, too. People are not necessarily going to lose their sobriety because of the fourth step. A lot of people aren't sober anyway when they get to the fourth step in our program. See, they're not acting out, but they're living in lust. They're still trying to have fantasies and look at a little porno every now and then and touch themselves a little now and then always in the boundary of the mm-hmm. quote sobriety, but they end up getting to the fourth step drunk. Many people who are chronic relapsers, in my opinion, and I spoke about this years and years ago, have never really gotten sober. They're really not chronic relapsers. They just never got sober. They stopped acting out, but they never got sober. Our membership requirement says, is to only... The requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and sexually acting out. Most people just see that second part, sexually acting out, but they're not really willing to stop lusting. Meaning to go to any length for 24 hours. Again, this is just my opinion. I do not talk for essay as a whole. It's just what I have seen for almost getting on four decades now.
2: So I counted up to 14 questions so far on the chat alongside two hands up um, We're going to try and, as much as possible, keep it related to your talk today in the fourth step. Um, Go ahead, Ilya.
3: Can you guys hear me? Yes. Okay, thank you for your talk, and thank you, Danielle, for facilitating along with others. My question is, um, you mentioned in the past how it's important, like, with your sponsor, you didn't do, like, so... Depth, if I answer correctly, you have like 10, 15 names, some principles, some big pictures, you move on. I'm a, My question is, I'm a very thorough guy, and, and I have like 40 pages on just resentment alone. And I'm afraid if I'm not thorough, especially it says it in the book, you know, if we we're painstaking or thorough, something, something like that, I'm afraid it's not going to work. I, I have a feeling I'm doing too much, but I just, I need this to work or I want to work and I don't want to mess up. So I'm trying to be thorough, but how? Do, I guess how do you balance between being thorough and doing it correctly, you know, or not correctly, or accurately, or, or 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 adequately? So that's my question. Thanks.
1: I don't think anyone should tell you what's right or wrong. Just be careful. You're not stuck in another obsession of the mind. See how a disease is a physical allergy accompanied by a mental obsession. You're not making this into another religion. If I don't do this, I can't get that. If I don't do this, I'll lose that. Well, it's about intent. You do the best you can. But let me tell you, and this is very painful for me to say, there's no way I'd be willing to be your sponsor to listen to 40 pages of your resentments. I'm not a healthy enough guy yet. I'd fall asleep, I'd be embarrassed. And so what did my sponsor teach me to do? He said, represent, because these are patterns. He said, these are not character defects. These are patterns of character defects. Get yourself some categories, family, workplace, Religion, place, institutions, get some categories and get good representation of those categories. Then see the second, see the third and fourth columns. That's why you're doing this. You're not doing this just to list things, you're doing this for your third and fourth column. Because ultimately, in the fourth column, and when you talk to your sponsor for your fifth step, you're going to acknowledge, ultimately, you can't make these character defects go away. That's why you have a sixth and seventh step, asking for them to be removed. But we'll go into that more and more. But it's great if your sponsor is willing to do that. The other piece that I deal with my sponsor, my sponsees, are their grandiosity about how many people I could be resentful at. At some point, you just accept what I had to accept in my own life. I am kerosene waiting for a match to set a fire. So I am a man full of anger and resentment. So I'm just looking for something to get annoyed at. That's what my defects at fourth and fifth step were able to help me see. that all these people couldn't have possibly harmed me. It was how I was interpreting them and hearing them. But that's between you and your sponsor. (laughs) I let go of that one.
2: So we have a question about the resentment column. Uh, Someone says that their main problem with the resentments is is all the resentments towards themselves. How can you deal with those kinds of resentments which lead generally to relapse?
1: You're not dealing with anything. You're just writing it down. Resentment, mother, father, boss, um, clergyman, self. (laughs) Column two, what did I do to myself? Column three, how did it affect me? Column four, eventually we'll do next. How did, what was my part? We're not dealing with anything. We're just doing a fourth step, an inventory. So when you do an inventory in a business, before you could deal with the inventory, You need to list what products you have in your inventory, in your business. You sell shoes. How many shoes do you have? Okay. Did I talk around that one or did I answer it?
2: I think you answered it. Um do you practice the idea of using character assets in your inventory and if so how
1: my character assets i do every single morning i do a gratitude list used to do 20 from the beginning That was one of the first things my sponsor had me start doing was my gratitude list. And so it's up to 30 every morning now and throughout the day. But, yeah, it's very important for me to do my assets. And it's nice in your fourth step to have those two. It mentions it in the book, if I'm not mistaken. It's an inventory of ourselves and we have assets also. These are very interesting steps. We discuss it with the third and the second step, and then the third. In the third step, it's just the word decision. In the fourth step, it's the word inventory. You're not dealing with anything, you're just doing an inventory. I'm, I'm concerned about the 40 pages, and for the person, not individually, for the concept. See, many of us were brought up, as I've shared, with two gods. One god was this Santa Claus god who we would make lists for, to say, I want this, I want that, please give me this, please give me that. And then if we didn't get it, we'd get angry at Santa Claus. The other God we many of us had was this God who just spent his entire day and night <laughs> out of time and space, but we'll use that term day and night, watching me to see if I've screwed up. So he could punish me with lightning rods, with lightning, or destroy my children because I screwed up. We tend to bring this into the program with us. So we get this concept of if I don't do it perfectly right, Zappo. I'm going to be zapped. There is only one step we could possibly do absolutely. That's the first step. You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. (laughs) You're either allergic to lust or you're not allergic to lust. It's a total absolute step. Every other step are progress, not perfection. And so the 10th step, permits us to catch things we might have missed in our previous steps. Thank you, everyone. There's this magnificent book called The Spirituality of Imperfections. It's based on the entire AA program, that the program is not based on our perfections, but on our imperfections. If we did not share with each other our imperfections, we would not have things to connect to. You go to church or synagogue or a mosque, and you hear preaching about how things should be. Very rare do you have people standing up saying, oh, (laughs) I just hit my wife yesterday or something. We connect with imperfections. What? I got an email the last week that touched me to no end. The person got so much out of my admitting that I was sober for four or five years, and it was the first time I ever physically shook my wife so hard I could have hurt her. He was so grateful I shared that for something about him and his life. So it wasn't about the steps that I'm lecturing on or preaching on or <laughs> um, per, per, what's the word? when you talk too much, but um, pontificating, pontificating. I'm not, pon- it's when I talked about my imperfection and recovery. That's what we connect to. It was not easy for me to tell you that it's impossible for me to keep my eyes open for decades if someone would read me 40 pages. And I've had similar things happen, and I had to stop it after an hour and have the person come back the next day, and then the next day I I have... (laughs) Kind of, I'm a hyper guy. I can't sit still for hours. I had to be honest with a person. We get into ritualistic thinking of being perfect. We're just a bunch of drunks helping each other. No one else could help us before. And I want to tell this story over and over again. What my sponsor said, he said, God tried everything to sober up an alcoholics. He first tried ministers or clergy, and that didn't work. And then he tried psychologists, and that didn't work. And then he tried psychiatrists, and that didn't work. And then he tried medical doctors and social workers. Those didn't work. He was about to give up on how to help an alcoholic. And all of a sudden he said, I'll try to have one alcoholic help another alcoholic. And that's what worked. We're just a bunch of imperfect human beings. And the whole basis of our program says first we had to let go of playing God. Only a power beyond time and space can be perfect. I'll never be perfect. What a relief! Although my ego doesn't like to hear that, I'll never be perfect. Next question. So go ahead, Ray. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, thank you, Harvey. It was. Uh, uh, I, I think I heard you a little bit before, but I really was writing down everything. You, you really speak from the heart, and I appreciate it. What I want to get to is. Um, Meditation, because I've been hearing, like, I've been noticing that I'm trying to meditate because I get anxiety at night from sleep apnea, right? I'm working on it. And, uh, and that, I have three months of sobriety, right? But and, and that used to make me act out. But now I'm trying to get into more meditation. And I was just wondering if, like, because this guy was, this, like, monk was saying that you could use meditation when you're angry, happy, whatever. It's kind of like you're looking at it from a distance. And then once you kind of like isolate it, then you could have a better, understanding and uh, feeling about it. I was going to ask you what you thought about that and and meditation in general. Meditation is wonderful, but we're dealing with first finding our character defects now and our assets. And it's a process. Um, We will be speaking about the 11th step. Uh, and dealing with it more. Uh, so I'm going to kind of be indirect about this because I we're trying to deal with the fourth step. Now, how can you bring meditation into the fourth step? Okay. You could take a few moments of deep breathing, breathing in and out and write on top of your page any form of this you want. God, you write this for me. And then do the columns. So you're using a bit of breath work, which is a really important part of meditation, to help you do your fourth step. So there isn't an either or. But right now, we, we want to really emphasize our fourth step. Because if we don't, and what you're saying is right on target, this eventually, by the 11th step in our deeper meditation, we learn more and more about mindfulness and then we could see the character defects rather than participating in it. One way we tend to participate in character defects is by beating ourselves up about them when they happen. And um, I'm able to now laugh about them. I was eating breakfast the other day with this couple, Nancy and I, because we have three meals a day in this red uh, cafeteria here where I live, and I had to brag about something. I was powerless. I said, Harvey, don't say that. It's, you're bragging. It was nothing about the program, it was professional stuff. And I immediately did it. (laughs) After it was over, I was able to say to myself, there you go, Harvey. (laughs) There it is. And I was so relieved I saw it. What a gift I was given through mindfulness, through my 11th step. But first, we want to just do it more simply. but if you're comfortable with meditation, somehow I'd do it and bring your fourth step in with it somehow. Okay, next question. Okay, the next question.
2: Um, I've been sober for sixteen days, but I have a lot of resentment towards my father and my family and I can't pray for him. and I've lost the connection between me and my higher power because I was praying to my higher power and said, our father who art in heaven, I don't like my father in earth. My sponsor advised me to make the fourth step inventory, and I can't write it. I still remember that my dad slapped me in the face.
1: Thank you. I've had decades of problems with not loving my father, who's been dead For over uh, 36 years. I had such resentments towards my father. That I paid people to pray for him. After he died. I couldn't do it. It's gotten much better over the years. I've done amends, written letters, etc. cetera, um, where I eventually went with it is I wrote a gratitude list about all my positive characteristics that I inherited from him. So first, I had to identify mine. The second part was seeing the positive. Now, where did I learn that from? I came into a program of AA 37 years ago that was composed of 99.9% Christians. And I had a lot of hostility against Christianity. And yet my life was saved by Christians. And this produced tension in me. And one day I wrote a gratitude list about christianity many things we don't think about where democracy came from where capitalism came from many positive things and it took away all that hostility there's a hostility when i look back at it was i was hostile to everyone and everything, Why would Christians be an exep- exception to the rule? <laughs> it's so freeing to just be able to tell yourself the truth and say, this is not what you want in your life today. Especially when the program's taking us into the fourth dimension where we're all waves composed of this wonderful ocean. And the top of the wave might look different, but if we look down, we're all composed of the same water, same ocean. A loving God manifested through our group conscience. And just last week it occurred to me, how do we get this loving God through the connection that everyone's connected? It's a group conscience, is a connection of consciousness. Only took me 37 years to get that one. But so Um, I don't go around with that anger. My mother, who was the one who stabbed me, who physically abused me, who beat me so severely for years, who would hit me in public even when I was married. I never had the resentment towards her like I had towards my father who watched all this behavior. And never said anything. Well, as I got more and more in recovery, I realized he was just so terrified of my mother that he, he couldn't be more than he was. He gave me the best he had. He came from an alcoholic father. You know? And he gave me the best he had. Now, what did I do? I found new fathers in the program. My my sponsor confronted me once as he was dying. And (laughs) this was 30, 30 years ago. And he was my sponsor for about five years. Cherry, the one I always talk about. And I got him to the doctor. and They diagnosed him and he had terminal cancer. And he ended up with a speaker at the International AA Conference and went and then came back, went and get the operation until he came back. And he died a few Months later, but I was by his bedside and I was crying. And he said, Harvey, cut it out. You just got me confused with your father. (laughs) Well, over the years, I always got old, old sponsors. All types of guys, very different. But I got fathers. I got you. You're my family of choice. I've been able to pick you. I was stuck with my family. (laughs) You know the expression, you can pick your nose, but you can't pick your family. (laughs) What you see is what you got and that applies to my sons. I have four sons in their 50s. I don't necessarily would want to be friends with some of my sons. <laughs> but they're my sons. What do you do? <laughs> you act as if that's what I do. <laughs> oh, it's good to laugh. And to cry. And to cry from joy. You notice my tears are never yet about sadness. They're about the joy I get. It comes out in tears of the miracle that I was brought to a 12 step program. This cannot be part of my life. This is my life, it's my breath. Okay. Another question. Uh,
2: We have two two people ask the same question. How sober do I need to be before taking step four?
1: I don't know. But Bill did his, within six weeks, our founder. But that's with you and your sponsor. But be careful of that word sober. You know, in this program, sober is that we cannot control and enjoy lust. So, just because you're not acting out, be sure that you might be technically sober, but be sure you're not drunk on lust. Even though you're technically sober, this is going to be hard doing a honest inventory if you're drunk. Let me get to a much more direct view, just my view, not essaying. most people don't make it in this program it is not a real easy program massive amounts of chronic relapsing now it can't be the person and it can't be the program His people are good. God doesn't pick one to give grace to and another. The grace is there for everyone. What is it? The majority of people in this program cannot let go of the religious model of lust and cannot accept the medical model that this is a brain. Illness, a true addiction, like heroin addiction or cigarette nicotine addiction, and so they continue in shame and they continue in trying to control and enjoy lust. Now, what is the problem with that? It's that your sponsor can't help you with it. This your sponsor has no way of knowing how you do lust. This you don't even know it a lot of times. Okay. How do you fool yourself that it's not lust? So what I've had to do since I'm so severely allergic, me. I am a very, very low bottom sex drunk. I've had to assume everything is lust until proven otherwise. I just go on that assumption. It's lust until proven otherwise. So I stay on my toes every day. How I speak to people, not that it's bad, nothing's wrong with lust. If it weren't for lust, there'd be no human beings. But I'm allergic to it. There's nothing wrong with alcohol. So many religions use it. But I'm allergic to it. I can't use it successfully. I cannot lust successfully. I could have sex successfully if I don't overdo it. But I can't have lust successful. And that's why we spent so much time, not on the first step directly, but on the five paragraphs previous to the first, to the steps in chapter five. Getting honest with yourself. How do you still hold on to lust? And fool yourself. So I'll give you an example. I'm able, if I like an actor or actress, I'm able to see on IBM D what are the movies they're in. But if I go into the photo gallery on purpose, If I click on that photo gallery, that is lust. For me, the first thought is not lust. That's what Jess taught us over and over. The first thought is on God. That's how he made me. So if I see a woman and the first thought is I see her naked, I see a man, and I see his erection for a moment. That's how God made me. It's what do I do with that first thought that makes it into lust? Do I do one of the 18 wheelers? Do I use a little rubber band, whatever it is, to block the, neck, the moving picture that could come? Or do I feed it and let it become a motion picture? Once it becomes a motion picture, a cinema, the phenomenon of craving begins and you have to do it again. That's why it's so difficult to just take the second look at some beautiful woman or some handsome guy. Once you take, you can't not see the first, you're going to see the trigger. But once you take that second look, the phenomenon of craving begins, the chemicals, and you must take a third and fourth look, and before you know it, you're following the person down the street. But that's based on the disease model, the chemical reaction of the brain. Most people in this fellowship won't accept it. They're still doing I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I wish you well. If it works for you, great. Didn't work for me. Next question.
2: So we, we have still 10 questions from the chat, but most of them are not directly related to the fourth step. And one of them is related to the fourth column of the fourth step, which I guess you said you're going to look at next week. So we can put that aside. But ha- uh, the, the final question from the chat, and then we have a couple of hands up and then you'll probably want to finish is um, a lot of people find the fourth step emotion, uh, very emotional, um, but don't, don't have very reachable sponsors. What do you suggest for that?
1: See the magic word sponsor. I was so ignorant in the program when I got to AA that I did my fourth step and I was delaying doing the fifth for a week or two and I said, the next person I see that has to do with recovery or therapy, I'm going to do it with. And that, I did it with a therapist. Later on, in essay, when it did my steps again, it was easier. I did it with someone in the in the fellowship. It doesn't say it has to be your sponsor. Now, what happens in my life where my sponsors keep dying? I get a new sponsor. <laughs> I I tell them some things, but I don't necessarily go over every detail. It's, I've already done it. Uh, I get so many calls about this. People have been waiting. It's so dangerous to do a fourth step and not do a fifth immediately after. So dangerous. You're stuck with all this stuff with the brain that's still healing. So you find what the big book says, someone you can trust. It actually says it. You could do it with your minister. You could do it with anyone. You could do it with another guy in the program. This becomes magic thinking. And what is the magic thinking? It's that you're bringing your past programming into the program where it says you let go of old ideas. Your sponsor is not your priest, minister, iman, rebbe, guru, master. It's another drunk who has hopefully more sobriety than you have. Now, always check me out to make sure I'm just not telling you a lot of bull. But to put Gene put on the spot, I hope I'm telling this accurately where the big book says it could be done with... A person you trust. It doesn't say the word sponsor. Gene, am I screwing this up? I don't know. Okay, thank you. See, now I feel like crying (laughs) from a different spot. It's all in the first 164 pages of the AA Big Book. But if you want to hide something, put it in the Big Book. Now, I want to tell you some truth of reality. I had an essay sponsor. He was drunk for Who knows, a year or two? I never knew it. We're a bunch of drunks. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Now, as you know, I have a special way with sponsors. It's my way. I call a sponsor to ask them what to do. This I, I didn't feel comfortable. Ask them. Even when they're wrong, I do what they tell me. I totally surrender. I never ask two people the same question. This, that's my disease, shopping for an answer. I have an AA sponsor and I have an SA sponsor. I never ask them the same question. Now, no matter what they say I do when I ask a question, if they tell me what to do and I haven't asked, I don't feel compelled to do it. So I've had sponsors that did not know me well enough, where how I whined and complained about my job, and this wasn't going to, they'd say, you should leave it. I never asked them. I didn't leave that job. Seven years later, I was still there doing much better. This was my character defects that were causing problem in the job. So I don't ask my sponsor, should I divorce my wife? I don't ask my sponsor, can I move to Naples, Florida, from Nashville, Tennessee? I don't ask my sponsor, can I go to an international conference? Now, if you're drunk, then you ask your sponsor, hey, will it help? But I might not make it at the airport. I'm very drunk. I also don't tell my sponsor background material. I tell my sponsor what I did, and do I need to make an amend? Yes, I have a tendency to build the play, give the whole background of the story, and poison my sponsor's mind. I am so good at poisoning my sponsor's mind. Setting them up. So over the years, I've learned, just tell him how I screwed up and leave it to him to ask me for background material. Only my style has nothing to do with right or wrong. It's my style. Let's see. Uh, Yankee and Jason.
2: Go ahead, Yankee. You have
4: a question? Um, Yeah. Hi. Just to get into a quiet room. Um, My question was, I I did post it on the chat for Daniel, but uh, I was able to uh, share it live, so I will. Um, I did have a thank you, Harvey, for this. I really appreciate it. I listen every week and it's really helped me uh, enter the steps through a different door. Um, I've had an easy time with step four and uh shared it with my sponsor i I didn't have a hard time going through that but at this point i'm up to step 10 and i'm having a hard time with the uh with doing a daily inventory um aside from you know uh have a pretty easy time promptly admitting when i'm wrong and making an amends fairly quickly um i i I just uh, as far as like just a daily inventory and going through my day at night or whatever it is, I don't find that there's much to put on my inventory as you know, cause once I have like a, if I have something that I have to promptly admit where I was wrong and I apologize and I'm doing my amends, I don't really find what to put on my inventory. I'm, I'm just wondering if I'm missing something. My sponsor tells me that I should just do it, you know, um, just, uh, you know, just whatever, write down and, and do it. And at this point, he says that he does it in his head and I sort of do it in my head because there's, nothing that really comes up. So um, I just try to put through my head whatever does come up, which is, like I said, almost nothing. Um, So how should I go about that?
1: There are nice little apps now that you check things off. Um, Really cool apps for a nightly inventory. They're worthless for me. I'm so tired at night when I finally, don't ask me my name late at night. (laughs) I might have trouble giving it to you. So I've tried them time and again, and I end up never doing them consistently. Um, I'm doing spot checks throughout the day. Uh, What is my spot check? I get uncomfortable. The minute I get uncomfortable, I will do a spot check or if I need to write things down. It's especially when I'm convinced you're screwing me up. You're doing something to me, upsetting me, making me angry, not treating me with respect or with this or with that. Um, I've gotten over the years to know that feeling of discomfort, and I do the spot check. That fourth, that 10th step, we'll get to it eventually. Um, It fits so many people. The program has such latitude. So much room. So I have one of my long-term sponsees. He has over 35 years of writing. We've been doing it for years together. He, um, he, he does his inventories, but he does a yearly inventory. He does a yearly inventory of going over things. That's his style. Get a style that works for you. If you're getting a comfortable sobriety, Jess would say, Harvey, if it's not broken, don't fix it. If it's helping you and what you're doing and you're not spending your day in lust and this or that, more shall be revealed. It took me a long time to be able to meditate. Decades. More got revealed. Now I meditate an hour a day. It's a process. A spiritual process. And spirituality has elements that have no words to it. Very hard to discuss The fragrance of a rose. How do you describe it? Same thing about this. This is a spiritual program. And each of us learn when we're out of the spiritual realm, which is part of being imperfect. Jason. Thank
5: you, Harvey. Thanks, Harvey. Thanks, everybody. This has been great today. You know, uh, I'm Jason. I'm a sexaholic. And can you hear me okay? Yes. Yeah. Great. Thanks. Um, Just want to touch briefly on the disease model. Because to me, this is so important. And I had I had accepted the disease model for a very, very long time. But it never got in here. I let go of the old thing of good and bad, but it says in the big book here it says, "An illness of the sort, and we have come to believe it an illness." And this last time that I went through the steps with the guy in AA, he kind of guided me, or I don't know. I think God really guided me through coming to the point where it was not that it was a model of disease, is that I am sick, I have a sickness a sickness has a hold of me and i need to be recovered from that sickness and it quit being a mental thing of the model of disease and it became a living fact and boy nothing will light the fire under you than than coming to see that you really have a seemingly hopeless situation so i was just wondering if you had any thoughts on that that's been um a huge transformation for me. It's made all the difference.
1: You yeah, have Jason, I I couldn't agree any more than how you're yeah. saying it. Um I'm hopefully it's a incremental aspect of first becoming aware that the concept exists. Um But once you get to what you're describing, um, it's so much easier. I just know I'm not a normal guy, that I have an illness that I'll take to my grave, and that I need not only daily medication – but lots of daily medication. Um, And, but I think it's part of a surrender process. If you think about the program, what do we really do? We don't learn new things. We let go of old ideas. Sandy Beach is one who really pushes that concept, that we're not learning, we're unlearning in recovery. So whether we call it a disease, a disease, a chemical imbalance, a limbic system abnormality, it doesn't matter. What we're really doing is unlearning that we're bad getting good. We're unlearning that without enough medication, um, I am without power. This is very important for me because I have a lot of years recovery now. And it would be easy for me to say, Harvey, it's okay. You don't have to wear a towel after a shower when you're looking in the mirror. No. I am powerless. If I don't wear a towel and I look in the mirror, certain stuff's going to start happening. And it can't be intellectual. It has to be just what you're saying, Jackson. Something, and we call it a spiritual awakening too. The same furniture gets shifted to a different part of our brain. And so... uh, Almost the reverse happens. He starts saying, I'm a good and worthwhile human being. And it's not going to take much to get me back. In other words, if I stop taking my high blood pressure medicine, within six weeks, I'm going to have high blood pressure again. Showing up. So if something does click, But I had to unlearn that God is going to love me whether I act out or not. I had to surrender that old concept of I'm bad getting good. And I had to accept that if I don't give it away, I'm not going to keep it just some deep spiritual concepts are are happening. And I think then it goes inside and you don't have to say it. Now, I say it a little differently. I say, if no one could possibly find out what I'm doing, no one could ever know what I'm thinking or doing. Why not do it? It's something deep inside. No, I don't do it when my wife's not in the room. I'm very careful about what I watch on television. She'll never know. I'm even more cautious, that she's a little more flexible than I am about. So. Um, to thine own self be true. Um, the disease model might not be true, by the way. Uh, the other model didn't work for me. The model of punishment. That I'm bad. The. Uh, the disease model has. But I have a forgetting disease. So getting it in here isn't enough for me. this I'm going to forget it. People have some powerful spiritual awakenings in this program. And after 35 years in AA, they'll still go out drinking so I have a forgetting disease so that's why I talk about this model so much so I don't forget it okay now on another note if you haven't looked it up and seen it about the neurotransmitters and what happens they really have figured some of this out about addiction and that most people will never have this problem. That there's probably a genetic linkage. Why Italians who are predominantly Catholic and drink wine all the time. Don't be have a high alcohol rate. But Irish, who are Catholic, have a higher rate of alcoholism. So it can't be about the religion. It has to be about genetics. And the American Indian, uh, Native Americans, have a much higher rate of alcoholism. And someday we're going, because of certain metabolic things that break down and don't break down, and we're probably going to find this about sexual addiction. Right now, I wouldn't hold our breath because certain things are not Um, politically correct if we imply deviant sexual behavior might be a disease. So I wouldn't wait too long to to see how many studies come out. The American Psychiatric Association some years ago went backwards and took it off for sexual compulsive behavior and change the name and soften the whole thing up. So let's close on this note. Um, I'm going to be very careful today not to lust. Period. This I'm allergic to it. Keep it real simple. Real
0: simple.
1: I do want to add one more thing. There probably is no such a thing as truth. Truth is a perception and a programming. Just like we see What you see in the universe is going to be very different than what I see in the universe. And so we don't want to make this dogma. We just, I guess, want to keep it simple and say, Harvey might be all wrong. But it seems to be working for him. Maybe I'll try it rather than saying this is truth, that isn't truth. Or this is the only way. Many people can do it through religion. I wasn't able to. So this, in quotes, model works for me better (laughs) than anything else. And to end What do we give each other here? Because we have no experts. We give each other our experience, strength, and hope. Period. And you take what you want and you leave the rest. And then you come back for it if you want another time. Love you all. And uh, see you next week. We'll do the f- finish the fourth step, and do the fifth step, and maybe get into the sixth step of it.
0: I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of the Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.